Welcome to Flopography, where we revisit old pop albums that are known by many, not because of their critical or commercial success, but because of their lack thereof. These albums received the designation of flop. But did we give them a fair shake? Welcome to Season 3, Episode 6 of Flopography. Mike and Steve here. We're really excited to bring you today's episode. The album was chosen by Mike. I think I might win the outfit contest with my t-shirt and tie, Mike. Yeah, and Steve, when you popped on camera and told me that Jenny picked it out for you, everything made a lot more sense. And Steve, I have a question. Were you actually excited for this episode? Did you, did compare to other albums, was this a pleasurous? Or like, did you loathe listening to it? Or what were your thoughts going into it? I actually enjoy this artist's music. So I will say that it wasn't the the most dreadful listen. And I knew after looking at the track list, a couple of songs, but I will say it's kind of a forgettable album in the discography of the artist. So I hadn't really given the album a full listen. Mike, since it's your album, why don't you do the honors? Goodbye Lullaby by Avril Lavigne, the queen of pop rock. Mike, I I didn't tell you this in your initial question because I didn't want to give away the artist, but I did own (laughs) Avril Lavigne's original album, Let Go. So I had the CD and... I listened to Under My Skin, her second album, and I enjoyed that one as well. In both instances, I gravitated towards the album tracks. I'll tell you my two favorite from Let Go and from Under My Skin, and I want to see your reaction. From Let Go, my favorite track was Things I'll Never Say. And from Under My Skin, my favorite one was Fall to Pieces. So I'll be honest with you, Steve. I own her first album. And because back then, you know, complicated was a bop and a half and a hit. So, but back then you don't have MP3s. You had to buy the entire album just to listen to the damn track. And under my skin, I love the singles, but both albums, I could never get through the entire thing. I just, I don't know, nothing gravitated towards me. So I can't tell you the filler tracks or the the tracks non-singles, but there was, Avril was at the top of her game back then. She started her career at age 16, so she wasn't that much older than you at the time. She's only 38 now. I didn't really like her third album all that much. That's the one that kind of I dropped off on. I know she hit number one for the first time. with The best damn thing, Steve? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that one I kind of trailed off on. It was too bubblegum pop for me. All right, Mike, the album was released on March 2nd, 2011. The type of music that was popular at the time, Adele released the number one song of the year with Rollin' in the Deep. But pop music had a really big year, so this was the year of Mike. Katy Perry, E.T., was one of the top songs of the year. Lady Gaga, Born This Way, was one of the top songs of the year. LMFAO, Party Rock Anthem. Are they a one-hit wonder? I haven't heard anything since. I mean, they had shots and stuff like that, but they disbanded. And then finally, Bruno Mars' Grenade was a popular song. The highest similar genre song on the year-end Billboard Hot 100 was Foster the People with Pumped Up Kicks. Was that a Mike classic back in the day? 
No, because it was like nonstop on the radio every fucking day. And I got so sick of that song so quick. <laughs> B96 Chicago, Mike's and 103.5 Kiss FM, which I was interning with shortly after this album. Oh, wow. So you were really an insider back then, Mike. I was a radio host. No, I'm kidding. The stage that Avril was in in her career, this was Avril Levine's fourth studio album. She was still just 26 years old. So she was 10 years into her career at the time. Recording sessions started in 2008 and lasted nearly two years. Avril was integral in the production and co-wrote every track on the album and some she wrote alone. She and husband Derek, is it Wibley? Yeah, I'd go with that. They separated, but he still worked on the album. Mm -hmm. And uh, Goodbye Lullaby was a pop rock album that's more introspective than her other work. Avril said about the concept of the album, Mike, and I'd like to hear your perspective since you were a 103.5 insider. (laughs) Radio is very rhythmic and urban and dance today. I think they wanted me to do something more like that, but that's not what my vision was for this album. Yeah, not surprising. I mean... Steve, I think we're going to get a lot of this conversation today in that it was a very different time, but also at the same time, not too different because at the top of the charts was Max Martin and Dr. Luke, who are some of the biggest, most versatile producers in, in pop music. So I am not sure if that should have been a hindrance to Avril's path. All right, Mike, let's get into the numbers of the album. Ooh. The numbers. Whoop. Steve's favorite part, Mike's least favorite part. <laughs> I just sit here and drink water these days. Drink water. Moderation, Mike. Yes. Goodbye Lullaby debuted at number four. It was her first album to not peak inside the top two. It sold 87,000 units in its first week. So the best damn thing went number one for 289,000 and under my skin went number one for 381,000. So she went from 381 to 289 to 87. All right. The singles. So you spoke about Max Martin and she worked at with Max Martin on all three of her singles. First, what the hell? That placed at number 11 for 20 weeks. I was actually surprised that that was a bigger hit than I thought it was. She really promoted the lead up to it. That was for sure. Smile went 68 for seven weeks. So it sort of flopped. And then Wish You Were Here went 65 for seven weeks. So despite having an unsuccessful second single, she did push a third single. Damn, 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 Critic scores, Goodbye Lullaby achieved at 58 out of 100. The Best Damn Thing and Under My Skin were both 165, 166 out of 100, respectfully. All right, Mike, it's time to get into the analysis of the album. Mike's favorite part, Steve's least. No, I'm kidding. I enjoy this part, too. Right, there we go. I just like all of our podcasts, Mike. Describe your initial reaction to the album in one word, and then tell me why. Listening to the album, sad, because... It's a pretty depressing sonic, sonically, and it's sad. The lyrics are sad, and um, that was my reaction listening to the album. How about yours? Mine's in the same camp. I said breakup. 
it was a breakup and that's what led her to be sad. So I guess you could say that both work in, work in um, the same. Not only did Avril get divorced in the process of making this album, but all the songs are of her being lovelorn, you know? And I really didn't listen to this album when it first came out, but I was served actually remember when on Spotify. I, I don't know why. I think it was part, I think I was listening to like, this is Avril Lavigne and it was on her playlist and so this was about six months ago. I was so this is a song you know then that you mentioned. Remember earlier. when, yeah. Okay. And I really enjoyed it. I listened to it a couple of times after. I was like, this is a this is a good, sad song. You must have been um, in your feelings that day. Steve. I was in my feelings that day, Mike. And it's a symptom of the rest of the album. We'll get into a little bit more, but I thought that was a standout track. And I think that you know it it reminded me of the album when we, when we jump back in, but breakup is how I kind of describe the, the album. So if any of you are going through it right now, listen to this album is, is the key message. All right, Mike, what was the low moment of Avril's era? The false push of the sound of the first single and the disconnect with the album itself, because I was actually super pumped when that song came out. Um, what the hell? And because it was fun. And I was like, okay, like it's not something new that we had heard from Avril was very much could have been on the last album, but I was like, all right, we're getting this again, but that was not exactly what we got. So I'm going to say the disappointment of not having that when I had thought initially I did get into it, but initially I was disappointed at that. That song was a good track. I thought it was a good lead single. Okay. And the low moment for me was her divorce and then working with her husband. And mm. so I say that because I, like, I can't imagine it was easy on Avril. And I wonder if, if he hadn't been involved in the process, if she would have been more authentic and personal on the album. On the album, the lyrics were pretty generic. And I'm curious if she oh. watered down anything since Derek was a part of the process. Like I, I'd love to like understand if he was, you know, obviously he was hearing the music before it was released. And I just feel that she wasn't able to go fully deep and some of, because of that, some of her lyrics were a little bit watered down. Interesting. I never considered Avril a lyricist. I just don't think that like people put her in the camp of, wow, she's an amazing songwriter. So I actually felt her lyrics were very deep and while generic, they're deep generic. And again, I don't know if, if writing is Avril Strong. I don't think I've ever heard a song that was like, wow, she wrote that. That's amazing. The low moment of, of it being feeling held back. I actually feel like in some way it was probably very much of a good process for her to heal by writing an album and producing an album with her lover who she's going through a divorce with right i'm sure that was part of some of the some of the healing that she had went through and, and the music that we received from that process so i'll go first with what should have been a single because i think i i didn't really bury the lead quite well but i would have chosen remember when and i say that what? oh god yeah i say that should have been a single and i say i say that because she had success with with ballads let's look at let go i'm with you was oh. as Yes. Mike would say a bop and a half. Bop and a half. I think "Wish You Were Here" was a good choice. That was, I thought, that was a great song as well. 
but I feel remember one was stronger lyrically and it builds nicely to the chorus. It's also reflective of the album's concept and would have felt quite different and fresh in the context of pop radio landscape at that time. It would have zigged a little bit. Let me just read you. I, I thought this was like a nice lyric is it never crossed my mind that there would be a time for us to say goodbye. And then she says, what a big surprise. And the way she says it, what a big surprise. It's so off the cuff and so natural that I felt that it, delivery. it, it really, yeah, it really made you feel emotion that some of the other tracks didn't necessarily. For us to say goodbye, what a big surprise. I'm going to say I love you because I believe that one is also produced by Max Martin and it's kind of a emo yet pop uplifting sound to it. So emo, emo lyrics, pop uplifting sound. And I can see that fitting really well in some of the portions of that radio play was going on at that time. So I thought that one should have been a single and could have done well. What age the best, in your opinion, about Goodbye Lullaby? Avril's more lean in on writing, you know, as you, as you called out, Steve, like, I think she wrote some songs on her second record a bit more than she did on her third and first, but her kind of owning this and making this a concept album in terms of a, of a breakup record, I think that's aged well because uh, we're seeing her now in 2023 do a little bit better at knowing who she is as an artist and where she wants to go. And I think this was a step in that direction. Sometimes you have to have missteps in order to get to the right direction. I think this is probably one of those for her. So it's funny you said her writing and taking a lot of ownership because my answer about what age the best is her collaborations with Max Martin. Mm -hmm. I say that because the deep personal songs on the album show up in some of her most upbeat production and so I felt like that aged pretty well, as you see in the pop landscape today, where people are get very personal in pop dance music. I think Robin dancing on my own, for example, and Lady Gaga's Chromatica. Like I think you you see that show up so much. A review talked about this a little bit too. It's the pop factory material, not Miss Avril Lavigne's own presumably more personal songs that offers detail, humor, and a sense of letting go. Her grown-up seriousness could use a little more of them. So basically saying that her her slower songs actually lack the emotion that her upbeat songs had on the album. And her rhymes and lyrics in the slower songs go a bit for the obvious. She talks about, I'm not sure you know the reason I love you is you being you, just you. She also says, and this is actually, I think, in one of her more upbeat songs, but down on your knees, begging me, please. She kind of just goes for the obvious yeah. lyrics. She's not like Taylor Swift saying, my heart was glass, you dropped it. You know, what a lyric about yeah. somebody's heart. You know, it's not, you broke my heart. It's really thought through. But I did think that her upbeat collaborations age the best. I think the key thing there, see, that you just said is Max Martin saved those songs. Max Martin is not on those really, really slow ballads that you mentioned. And for those who don't know, Max Martin is like the top producer in pop, not just right now, but has been for since the 80s, 90s, not 80s, but 90s, I'd say, with Britney and Sync, Backstreet Boys, all of them. 
and everything down to the weekend uh, he has been the producer for and has had major top 10 hits. So he, from what I've learned about him, he's a master lyricist and is able to find, um, I don't know the exact phrasing of it, but able to get words to sound very hooky and stick in your, your, your ears. And he's all over that. Right. So that is a bit more of a saving grace in this album here. Now moving on. What didn't age well for you, Mike? I'm actually going to say those Max Martin tracks. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of counter contradicting, but it sounds dated in some ways. And I don't know if not many of his pop rock tracks have aged well. Um, you, I mean, you couldn't throw any of those Max Martin tracks on the radio today and be like, oh. it sounds generic because it's been done over and over again. A lot of artists can easily be inserted on that song. Kelly Clarkson could have been on that song. Pink could have been on that song. Katy Perry could have been on those songs. There, there's a lot of, I think, duplication in terms of the sound. So that has not aged the best, in my opinion. Although, they're, they're again, they sound good, but they're not, they haven't aged well. To word. me, what didn't age well were, were her vocals on the album. Hmm. In listening to Alice, was that like a soundtrack song? Yeah, that was on um, Disney's uh, Alice in Wonderland, like the actual live action one. Like she's literally screaming or yelling. I was running when I listened to the album and I had to change it. It hurt my ears. Really? Yeah. One review called out that Levine has a much better voice than she's often credited with, but Goodbye Lullaby rarely capitalizes it on it, and she spends most of the record straining equally hard for pathos and notes she doesn't quite hit. Mm. So I, I saw that, and then knowing how I reacted listening to Alice, I felt like her vocals were... Oh, a weak part of the album and, and not because she has bad vocals, but just the way that they were used. Yeah. That's a good point. I can see that now. So it's time for the rationale that for what went wrong, I'll go first, Mike. Sounds good. The rationale for what went wrong to me, you look back at the first week sales is that there was no true hit. And so there was a lack of, radio-friendly songs, and the changing landscape of pop music at the time. I think this type of music wasn't a fit for that time. The New York Times, which, you know, wasn't me, so I won't take oh my credit God. for this. I'm not a New York times Ian employee. Said, unlike most current pop, Miss Levine's music keeps its distance from R&B or dance music, which was popular at the time. So she kind of moved away from that. And I also think Best Damn Thing was not as amazing as the numbers indicate. It was front-loaded with girlfriends, so the commercial come down shouldn't have been that big of a surprise for the label. Mm -hmm. I will say the best track and the Best Damn Thing is I Can Do Better. That's Oh, I love that one. I'm glad you know that one. Half. Oh, that's a good one. That's so but, you know, ragey. So I would say that it's the combination of radio-friendly songs, the fact that Avril, I feel like, had already kind of lost her luster in this phase of her career. Does she have, like, a fandom? That was, like, the other thing. I was going to say that, too. I mean, okay. I don't think she does. I mean, that's not my reason why I think it went wrong, but I don't think she has a fandom, and that factors into it. Definitely. And so what was your rationale for what went wrong? So I know we brought up a couple times that this was – different sound but i also think it wasn't too different from the sound at the time so i mentioned max martin i mentioned dr luke 
Um, Shellback is obviously Max Martin's kind of co-producer on many tracks um, that he has done. Both were at the top of their game at this time. Like they, this was one of the pockets of periods where they had a lot of good tracks. They were with Katy Perry. They were with Kesha. Um, they were with Pink. And all of those artists were able to have pop rock sounds that did really well in the charts. So the year prior was Katy Perry's Teenage Dream. Um, and then the year, I think that same year, later that year, or maybe it was right before, but Pink's Fucking Perfect, you know, Razor Glass, all, they had that same guitar-driven pop rock sound. So Avril Lavigne compared to those artists, right? What, what does she have versus them? And I don't think she's never really had the it factor, but also... Pink's been able to stay, stay relevant because Pink has been active, even if for, you know, singles throughout that entire period. Avril went away after her last album, which was that until six or seven, one of those two, right? And took a four-year break, came back to this, and still had not developed as an artist. So I think that that is what had went wrong. Who was Avril Lavigne, right? She didn't really have carve out a little bit more of who she was, in a refreshed perspective, she went in with a false narrative with What the Hell and then gave us a breakup album, right? So there's a disconnect there and you can see that push and pull to production. And you know, um, Steve, at, at some point in the, her lead up to this album, she had said her she was going back to the recording room because the label was like, we need a couple of pop ones, right? A couple of songs. And that's how Max Martin got into this album, right? He was doing... She was doing the album with Derek Wilby. So I think that her not staying true to her sound that she wanted to go for is actually go, went against her in overall performance and going with what she was told to do. Mike, let's see if the fans agree. We're going to pull up a few tweets and, and see your reaction to them. The first tweet says... Goodbye Lullaby by Avril Lavigne is a masterpiece. There are some songs I haven't heard in literal years, and this one specific hit me like whiplash. Mike, it's Remember When. Oh, gosh. Was that you? It was not me. Yeah. All right. The next tweet, which I'm interested in your perspective on, and it's kind of offensive, so bear with me. It's from Carl, and it says, Oh, Avril, as if it's bad enough you divorced Derek Wibley and turned him into a fat alcoholic mess. Wow. I think he's gone through some stuff, and that's probably why he gained weight, because he probably is not drinking anymore. But I don't know where they stand now. And I, I don't know if Avril's romantically linked to anybody, to be honest. She was with, I believe, like Chad Kroger for a bit. Yeah, band. after this album. Um, shortly after, actually. But She has a type. Yeah, she definitely does. <laughs> so the third tweet is from Jessica, and it says, Avril Lavigne's Goodbye Lullaby is such a brilliant album. Such a shame this era hasn't been as huge for her. Seriously, an underrated album. That's a 2023, not a flop, in her opinion, Mike. Yeah. Well, let's see. Well, let's see. It's the 2023 review. Ooh. All right. Goodbye Lullaby. Who do you want to go first? You or me, Mike? Why don't you go? This is not a flop. Wow. Okay, go ahead. So I actually enjoyed listening to the album mm -hmm. um, quite a bit. It was easy to listen to and had like, to me, it had like some classic Avril Lavigne hooks and some of this, even in the slower songs. I think What the Hell was a fun song. It was well produced. 
yeah, it didn't match the album, but in listening to Avril Lavigne's albums, I don't know that any are like extremely cohesive and they haven't been high, like that highly rated. She's like, it's about having fun, even though in your feelings fun. Uh, the expanded version is questionable though. I will say <laughs> with the acoustic version of what the hell that was unnecessary. Uh, the soundtrack song and a remake of Bad Reputation. I don't get but, it. Yeah. <laughs> but for judging the original, this is this isn't a flop to me. What okay. do you think, Mike? I am going with flop, um, Steve. It's Ooh. a flop. And again, here's you've why. been harsh this year. Have you have you well, had any not a flops? Well, here's the thing though. Like Steve, I used to love this record, and I, you know, but it hasn't aged as well. It's not something I will come back to on at often. Um, but she hasn't been able to carve herself as an artist at that point. And I do think it brought her back a few steps of pop commercialism. So she had the best damn thing. And this was, and then this album, which was her last album with RCA. And then she went to Epic and where she went back with LA Reid, who started her career after this with her date, her self-titled album Avril. And she started to go back into a bit more pop rock upbeat territory with a little hints of, of, you know, pop ballads, but we haven't seen her come back up, but I will say now, if you look at her career, I kind of like where she's going with it. She's went independent. Um, although it's Travis Barker's label. Um, and she is doing her thing and owning pop punk now, not pop rock, but like pop punk. Right. And, I think I think she is a in good territory with that. Now, do I like her new music? No, I kind of miss my pop rock Avril, Avril, but I like the way she's going because she's kind of done the pop thing, and I this was just a blip in that career trajectory, and she's finding her way. So what's the plot? She's riding the ship after like head above water. Like I don't know what was going on during that. Like wow, that was a bad album, really bad album. Is that a Christian album? No, it was just about her. Well, she suffers from Lyme disease and that was just like really bad album. There's like maybe one track I like from it. So I will say, Steve, that I feel Avril can make a pivot and go to adult contemporary. (laughs) And I feel like it's been the theme, but like, I feel like she could go for that Alanis Morissette type vibe, um, Sheryl Crow type vibe where she just does like, you know, light pop. So I feel like she could go that direction in the future and maybe get a top 10 that way at, at the bottom, bottom of the list. But she she has some leg in her, but I don't know if she has the energy given the health challenges that she's had. We have to remind ourselves that she started music so early yeah. and she's only 38, which is old by pop standards. But yeah. I will say that it's like the same age as Katy Perry. You know what I mean? And Katy Perry's also not tracking nicely either. She's had another flop. Well, how old is Beyonce? Beyonce's older than both of them. Like, you know what I mean? I think that she still has room in her career. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I she in theory she should. But I sometimes I think if an artist started really young, people automatically think they're old, and that's so unfair. And so wrong. But I think I, you see that with Miley a little bit too. Yeah. But but good for her for coming back with something that is in a good territory that kind of strikes the middle balance between an adult who's maybe in her early 30s, if not approaching it, and versus, you know, someone who is trying to be bangers Miley, which she does not need to come back with bangers Miley again. I loved it, but she does not need to come back with it again. 
All right, Mike, one not a flop, one a flop. Yeah. Let us know what you think of Avril Lavigne's Goodbye Lullaby and where she should go next. Yeah. Mike, tell everybody how to connect with us. We mean where they can go next. They can go to Flopography Podcasts on any social media platform, or they can go to our email inbox and email us at flopographypodcast at gmail.com with any comments, questions, audio files, reviews. You, we'll include you in an episode if you send it anchor.fm slash flopography podcast for all the streaming sites we're available on. And if you are watching us like comment and subscribe and continue supporting y'all, we have one more episode in the season, Steve, isn't that cray cray? It's crazy. It really is. I am looking forward. I don't even know what we're going to review yet. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, But everybody have a great, you know, day and we'll catch you next time.